0: Central Friday, it's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah with you in the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Yannick Hansen's going to join us here in a few moments, kick off this Friday program. We've got the mailbag to come as well.
1: Lots of questions. Questions that we are looking to provide answers for. We
0: will answer to the best of our ability. Yes. We promise you that. That's uh, one, uh, one promise I'll give you here today.
1: We're here to give you promises. Make promises and keep them.
0: Um, it's uh, And it's a big one because it's going into the draft. And mm-hmm. coming up after Yannick, uh, we will try to at least give our best attempt at what the Canucks top 15 looks like. We know Patrick Alveen earlier this week mentioned that the Canucks feel there is a top 15 of players in this draft. Mm -hmm. Sort of a clear-cut top 15 was his assessment. And so we'll try to decipher what that top 15 looks like.
1: Yeah, and uh, we spent some time digging into that Mm -hmm. and going through a process of elimination and also just doing the obvious thing. Consider the people they've spoken to. <laughs>
0: Those dinners, man. You don't just take anybody out for dinner. No, when, you don't. Uh, when you're going to
1: draft week. Especially nice, expensive dinner.
0: Yeah. Could it be like... Um, y- do you take somebody out for dinner just to, like, you know, throw a smokescreen out there for other teams sometimes? I guess you could. Like, you it know. doesn't hurt to always get to know a player. Like, you never know when oh, that player might yeah. become available three or four years down the line or something. And something to that effect. But, you know, if you've interviewed enough guys, all of a sudden... Teams have no idea who no, you would actually like to take in the spot that you're in.
1: One thing, so about that, I remember asking this recently about somebody who have smoke smokescreen stuff. One thing the person also said was, the thing to keep in mind, as much as the smokescreen stuff does happen to some mm-hmm. degree, like... It's not going to be super complex because there's only so much time you have this time of the year to meet with these guys. So how much of this time are you going to waste on smoke screens? Yeah. Like if you can meet with like seven guys, you're going to waste two or three of the spots just to take people off to scent necessarily. It's like this stuff is valuable. Time is, you know, valuable here. These opportunities are limited. So why would you waste them too? Uh,
0: Could make a lot of sense. So we'll get into that. The top 15 as we see it. From the equinox perspective and what that looks like. Now, these next seven to ten days, Sat, there's going to be a lot. You know, by the time we get to this time next Friday... Mm-hmm. And we're going to be teeing up free agency and what might happen then.
1: And I wonder how much of that stuff is being decided right now as we speak behind the scenes.
0: Well, it is such a short turnaround between the end of the entry draft and free agency, right? The end of the entry draft will be Thursday afternoon in Nashville. You've got pretty much 48 hours to prepare for the start of free agency. And as we know, you know, it doesn't just so happen that uh, at 9 a.m. Pacific time on July 1st, You know, uh, oh yeah, I'm calling uh, Jonathan Taves. We'd like to sign you to a contract. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's great. Good terms figured out, done deal. No, you're making those contacts with the agent and everything else as we know. Uh, Not tampering, of course. No one would ever do that. But there has to be some groundwork laid in the lead up to free agency. And I just kind of wonder exactly what the Canucks. Still are looking for. I mean, we've talked about some of the bigger names, right? The Barbashevs and the maybe Carson Soucy. Do they want to get into those sweepstakes? But how big of a fish are the Canucks looking to land this offseason? I think that's something I'm still trying to figure out.
1: I think it's pretty obvious. <laughs> I think they want to get really good players if they can. Yeah. If they can get impact top forward defense, if they get an impact top forward defenseman, they'll do it. Can you do it? That's the bigger question.
0: It's uh, a question yet to be answered. Let's see if our next guest has a thought on this. He joins us every single Friday. It is Yannick Hansen. This analyst is brought to you by Magnuson Auto Group, Metro Ford, Port Coquitlam, and Magnuson Ford in Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser to serve you. Thanks for this, Yannick. How are you?
2: Yeah, it's my pleasure. How are you guys doing?
0: Oh, we're trying to uh, figure out how the next 10 days are going to go for the Vancouver Canucks. You know, they've uh, they've utilized the buyout on Oliver ekman Larson to give themselves some cap flexibility. And you don't do that, Yannick, unless you are looking to significantly improve your team. What do you think uh, Jim Rutherford and Patrick Aldine might be up to in the next 7 to 10 days?
2: Yeah, they're obviously debating internally how many holes they can fill. Um, In a perfect world, you you fill three. Um, You get those two defensemen and you get a third line center. Is it doable at the price um, that they have available to them, whether it's seven or eight million? that's, That's the debatable part. Obviously, you can fill those three spots with that kind of cash, no question. But you also want quality Mm -hmm. And, and as quality go up so does the price so is it a case where maybe you get two out of the three and and call that a win and then hope you uh you get lucky on the third um where you you take a swing out to the left kind of thing um that that might be a way to go for it um Or or do you go down another path and say, no, we we fill one of those holes with a guy we know for sure will be uh, somebody this team can grow with. And then we try to get lucky on the other two. There's a lot of different avenues. And obviously it comes down to what's available and what's the price. Um, A lot of times the players that you're looking for, maybe not so much the third line center, but the defensemen, they might not be available through just free agency. You might mm-hmm. have to trade for these guys. Um, and then obviously price comes in as well. Uh, the salary go out the window when new comes in. So obviously there's a lot of lot uh, lot of lot of things up in the air that doesn't really know um, until it starts getting done. Uh, but again, it, mm-hmm. it would be nice to see them filling some of those holes.
1: Well, I think philosophically, there are a lot of things that kind of get into potentially in terms of like, okay, Do you go and sign three mid-level guys or go after at least one impact guy like you kind of mentioned? I like the idea of making sure you get somebody who moves the needle at least somewhere, and that makes a big difference. But the thing is, it's easier said than done. Everybody wants a top-four defenseman who's good on the right side, or everybody wants a good defensive top-four D-man. And the other question really comes down to what can Vancouver trade? And what should they look to trade? And honestly, when you know, we all know they're not going to move certain guys, Like, But if we're getting to assets, Vancouver would have to move for a young defenseman, potentially. Like, to you, is anything off the off uh, off the table here for you outside of the 11th overall pick? Like, do you view Hoaglander put Coles in the Canucks prospects as players they shouldn't look to move for the right defenseman?
2: Uh, I think you've got to be careful with moving the young guys. Of course, if it's the right player, you, there's almost no untouchables. Like you'd say, you'd even move Petey or Quinn Hughes if the right package came along <laughs> that you wanted. It. So so there are really no untouchables. It all comes back to what's coming back the other way. And, and we're talking, obviously, third, fourth defensemen here. Um, so, so you'd like to see if they're packaging something up, uh, a, a winger. And obviously, nobody's going to take players that do you don't want either so in order to get something you have to give something Mm up um the problem has been we keep giving up stuff in vancouver and the stuff that are coming back aren't really that big of a difference but now we're just short of these assets draft picks here referring to and again draft picks i know there are lottery balls they might turn out they might not but again the more roles you have the, the bigger chance are that something happens um but but again if you're looking to move something i'd look at the wings like after you move bo Horvat last year you're you're not thin on centers because you have very strong one and two centers if they play the way they ended the year last year so so i'm comfortable there you obviously need the third line center UFA there would be the easiest way to go mm-hmm. um, but we have an abundance of wingers some have been underperforming uh, a, a little bit and that makes it a little bit harder to move them um, but again that that would be an area I'd look to if you're moving um, a- again I'm always hesitant as to moving the young guys before you really know what you have um, and you mentioned Todd Coles and you mentioned Herglander you, you're hoping that, that Nils Herglander find his way back uh to Vancouver this year. I mean, he's had quite a stretch now and hopefully he's matured and, mm-hmm. and can come back and, and push the needle in that right direction because they do need something like that. Um, a, a little bit of luck, um, kuzmenko comes in last year and provides an abundance of scoring that yeah we we knew he was a coveted free agent but but nobody expected him to do what he did myself included and that's kind of what you need in this situation where we talking about all these holes we need to fill and there's so much and there's only so much money to go around so you need to get a little bit lucky here and there and that's where these young guys can can come in and again hopefully take a step in the right direction and and become part of the uh, the fringe core if you will
0: well and even a year ago you know they talked up just how much they wanted to improve the player development side of the organization And, and we seem to see a little bit of that but you don't want to go signing a bunch of free agents that then block the path for some of these young guys to be able to win a spot on the team come September right
2: no, but you want to sign them so that they're not uh, penciled in either. Uh, I'd rather sign and I, a couple of guys that are, what do you say, minimum um, one-ways. And then if, if they don't make the, the team, shoot them down to, to Abbotsford. And yeah, you're paying a little bit more for them there. But obviously, they're good enough players. But then again, if the young guy can go out and outperform said player, now we're creating this internal competition that, that you're pushing for spots and you know that, okay, I, I made the team, but there is somebody right behind me waiting in the wings, a couple of bad games, and I might be getting sent down. Where last couple of years, we've been sitting at this time of year and we could almost pencil in the entire lineup. Um, and that's not a good thing because you need that internal competition. So guys aren't feeling safe. They're they're pushing themselves now in the summer. They're pushing themselves into training camp and you're playing every game like it's your last. I know it's easier said than done, but, but again, when, when you're, when you're fighting for your next paycheck, you play a little bit differently.
0: Yeah. And a our guest. Um, now, one thing we heard from Patrick Alvin earlier this week is, uh, you know, finding better fits for this roster and, you know, I think maybe that's something to to look ahead to and what they might do in free agency. You know, we've heard a name like Carson Soucy, a bunch a guy can has got some size, plays more of a stay at home type of game, can penalty kill a little bit. I know that this team still needs some more high-end talent. Uh we can't really avoid that fact about the roster, but they also need and this goes into the OEL buyout. They just need players that that fit better. And if you feel confident about Quinn Hughes and, and Philip Peronick as staples on your top two pairs, potentially on separate pairs, is it more about finding the right fit to go with those guys than it is about finding the most talented player available?
2: Absolutely. And, and that's where it comes back to money. Um, you look at Vegas because it's easy, they just won. Um, but you have Peter Angelo, you have Theodore. And then you surround them with uh, McNabb and Haig and Martinez and White Cloud. And these guys aren't screaming uh, top-pairing defense in any way. No, they they perform a job really well. Some of them are physical. Some of them are good defending. Some of them move the puck. Some of them can skate. But you have those key players in your spots, and then you fill out around them. And you mentioned, Carl, uh, Susie, I don't know him to the extent uh, as to I go and say yeah, I guess him a hundred percent because I don't watch the enough to do that. But again, that's the type of mold you're kind of going for—a um, little more defensive, a little bit physical, can defend. Because like you mentioned, we have Quinn Hughes. You have Heron. Hopefully, those two will drive possession, uh, provide the offense from the back end. Um, but you need a little bit of help around them. Um, and we've seen a lot of young guys coming in that can move the puck and all these things. There's, there's only so much puck to go around out there. There's only so many offensive zone draws, and you'd like to be able to throw out Quinn Hughes for those. And mm-hmm. then when it's an offensive zone draw, Get him off. Throw, yeah. throw the other guys out there. But if you have a young, skilled defenseman, you, you can't do that to him. You need to give him offensive minutes. You need to give him an opportunity to to develop as a player. That's where hopefully they can do that in the minors, and then when they're ready to take the step, you can bring them back back up. So I'd like to find those defensive players that can help out Quinn Hughes, Petey, heronic uh, so, so you don't have to play all of those important minutes at both end of the ice, that you have somebody else mm-hmm. that can alleviate a little bit that and then get the the prime 18, 19 minutes out of Petey that are, in theory, offensive minutes and not tagging on another four or five defensive zone minutes, whether that's penalty killing or defensive zone draws, et cetera.
1: The other day on the 32 Thoughts podcast, Elliot Friedman kind of wondered aloud if Ryan O'Reilly would be a target for Vancouver, and just to think of the idea of a player like Ryan O'Reilly who obviously is, you know, a bit older now, he's 31, but has been one of the best two-way players in the league, good centerman, strong and all those sort of things. Do you see the 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 desire and do you understand the fit of that type of player or do you think they should be looking at a younger guy given where this team is at?
2: I have no problem with a guy like that because because he'll, he'll fill a spot until you can find what you want that mm-hmm. you grow with, and if they happen to be good next year, great. He will fit right in a, a shoe-handing glove, and if not, he's a player that you can. It comes back to what does he want, how long does he want, mm-hmm. and, and all of these things. You got to be careful with that. Um, again, the the free agent isn't that deep this year, so um, he could be a guy that that could get a little bit more than you'd like to pay. Um, but I have no question or no no issues with bringing in an older guy to fill this third line center role, as long as it's on a manageable contract. Um, and here I'm I'm, I'm talking length um, that you that you're not uh, pigeonholing yourself a little bit.
1: Because the the other thing that you know has been discussed quite a bit, and I, I think that as much as they're trying to get better, and, and of course one of the things they've also discussed is. It's a quiet team. The group is very quiet. They'd like to add some more leadership to the group. They'd like to add some more players that perhaps liven up the dressing room in that sense. How, and if you get it on a player like Ryan O'Reilly, for instance, is, who is a leader type, is a guy that is good in the room and would bring guys along. I mean, that obviously you know, has a lot of weight to it, given everything he's accomplished. But do you think it is important for a, the Canucks to have somebody in the room, perhaps, that can liven things up and be a, more of a voice?
2: It doesn't hurt. Um, Again, it's hard to go out and get that guy from the outside Mm -hmm. because, again, you need a guy who's been in the room for a little while and knows the guys before you. You can kind of fill those shoes. It's not easy coming into a a whole new room, uh, 20 new guys, and just uh, be the life of a party right away. It's just not happening uh if, if you're talking game sense and situation it's it's another thing because that that doesn't really matter where you are that's just the person you are the player you are but but um, the social aspect of it that 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 doesn't come as as easy and it, it's going to take a little bit longer And that being said the more of these type of players you have the easier it is for is for them to to gel and and create that atmosphere that uh, when it is uh, a <laughs> dark january and you're playing game fifty to sixty. It, it's nice to uh, to be laughing a little bit more and joking around instead of uh, head uh, head hung and then oh mm-hmm. it's another day another dollar kind of thing. So it it doesn't hurt. But again, the, the player has got to fit in a lot of different areas as well.
0: When it comes to the draft, Yannick, uh, there's always the question: uh, you know, best player available, or do you draft for positional need? You know, we know how the league has gone. Centers and right-shot defensemen mm-hmm. are just so in demand. They're so hard to find, especially good ones. Um, how would you look at the draft if you were uh, selecting for the Canucks? Is it just BPA, or would you have a preference to get the center or right-shot defenseman?
2: Uh, you want levy or Matthew Kachuk? Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's that simple. you you got you gotta draft best player available. Um, obviously, if if there's two players that uh, that are in the same category, you 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 look for organizational needs. But but again, you 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 can't take a flyer. You can always trade the better player down the road. Um, for what you want, where if you, if you strike out too many times because you're you're drafting organizational needs, and, and then then you're letting go players that could have turned a franchise around in, in another way. Um, again, the the draft is so hard, even early in the draft, to to pinpoint that this player is going to be a player or not. Um, that that's where uh, like if there is a sh- I'm saying a sure thing, but if there is a sure thing, you got you got to take it and run with it, and then hope you get lucky uh, on your other picks instead. Because um, you hate to to pass over. Um, and again, it's an easy one to 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 peg out, but there's other cases as well um, where you're, you're you're drafting for organizational needs and instead of meeting, uh, uh, yeah, best player available kind of thing.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's one of those things like I'm with you. Just just take the best player and then figure it out a bit later on. And I think the reality always about the draft is as much as we talk and we are excited about it, these guys are going to take a while to make an impact in, at the National Hockey League level. But as far as being a former player too, and this time of the year... How close an eye do you keep on the rumour mill when you're looking to see what your team is going to do, especially with the draft being so close? Like, Were you pretty engaged on, on keeping up on what's happening and, and seeing what type of improvements are happening around the league?
2: Yeah, the first the first round draft here when it plays on Friday, you, you follow that because that is when impact trades are made as well. Mm-hmm. If somebody moves the first round draft pick, you know that a player could be going the other way that will make a difference on your team that year. Uh, one's round uh yeah back in the days it was what uh, three to nine did the other day or, or whatever it was um, the trades that day are a little bit more minor if you will it might still end up being a, a player that will step in on the roster right away but but it is definitely it's something you keep keep a track of and then again um when your team is coming up you're you're looking at the maybe not so much the player that they're potentially picking because that player, like you said, are two, three years away from, from entering. Um, but more so, are, are they doing something with that pick? Um, when time comes.
0: Anna kansen, our guest, uh, a lot of uh, news out of Calgary yesterday as uh I don't know, it felt like almost half their team yeah. sort of asked for a trade or uh, said they might not want to resign in Calgary at the very least when it comes to their contract expiring next year. And pretty talented players, right? Uh, Elias Lindholm, Noah Hannafin, Tyler Toffoli, uh, the list even goes beyond that. Um, if you're the Calgary Flames, the the Winnipeg Jets, how do you handle situations like this? Because, Yannick, you know, it it's a reality that those markets are always going to have to live in where – it's tough to, to maintain players at times.
2: Yeah, it is. You're fighting, obviously, the the, the weather and the climate and stuff like that in those cities. Um, so sometimes the taxes, if guys are thinking, uh, obviously Florida, Texas, Texas as well. But it's like eh, you can't let them slide um, and let them go for free. But the, uh, at the same time, in, in Calgary, you're you have a really good team. You have a really good team that underperformed last year um so are you going to go out and blow it all up this year um are you going to take a stab at it and then see where you are later on but but it's a lot of players you mentioned that again you can't have turn into a, a Johnny Goudreau 2.0 here uh, 12 months from now so it's it's a tough situation you hope that they can That they can make the flip and make a lateral trade uh, and then again get a guy who is willing to come and commit kind of thing and then a one for one kind of trade a hockey trade, um, if you will. Um, But again, it's, it's not easy. Once these players have come out and said no, we're 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 done. We're not resigning here. Um, I don't know why you go out and communicate in in such a way. Just kind of keep it behind closed door. I know that's probably it's probably not that easy, but but it doesn't put you in a good position as a organization when everybody knows that half your roster wants out, and then you're gonna start picking up the phone and and calling these other teams. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll give you this, but you might not get. Uh, 60 cent on a dollar if you're lucky right now because these players are going to want to leave anyways um so it's, it's a tough situation no question
1: how dispiriting is it for other players on the team when they see that amount of guys be like we want out
2: yeah i, I was i'm a little bit surprised because um at first when they let sutter go you started hearing out mm-hmm. these players want to stay all of a sudden and yeah. then three months later it's an even bigger exodus so it's uh I don't know what's going on there. Again, I'm not uh, in tune with Calgary in that sense. Um, I, I thought it was a place they um, wanted to be. I know there's obviously something going on with the rink there. Uh, it'd be nice to, for them to, to, to get a new rink. It, it's nicer to play at those facilities. It's, it's that simple as well. Saldo is, is old and all these things. Um, I, I don't know, but I'm at a little bit of a loss for words that it's this many that are coming out and, and saying we're done. Because, again, playing in Canada and... I. In this sense, it doesn't matter if it's Vancouver, Winnipeg, or, or Calgary. You, you have a caring, faint fan base, uh, sold-out seats when the teams are doing well. It's a rambunctious crowd there in in Calgary as well. So so I don't know from a player perspective why you wouldn't want to play in an environment like that. I get it. It's cold and all these things outside. But again, it is, we're hockey players first, and again, it is... It's fun stepping on the ice when when you have a fan base that that truly cares. Uh,
0: last thing before we let you go, Yannick, uh, the NHL awards and NHL draft all in Nashville over the next uh, few days. Is where would Nashville rank on your list of road cities to visit?
2: It was it was good. It was a good place. It was fun <laughs> to go there. Um, uh, again, it was a little bit there it was a long flight, and we always had to come home. Um, so, so coming back was tough, but but going to Nashville, was uh, it was a treat. It, it's one of those where it didn't matter if we had uh, an extra two or three days, uh, hunker down there for, for a little bit extra. <laughs> uh, whether it was just experience uh, Nashville uh, on a day off or, or a night out, it, it was um, it was a different place than a lot of other cities you go to um, uh, on the NHL tour, if you will.
0: Uh, great to hear. Thanks for this, Yannick. Always appreciate it.
2: Yeah, my pleasure.
0: Uh, there is Yannick Hansen, who uh, joins us every Friday here on Canuck Central.
1: Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's one of those things where like players have favorite cities, yep. and Nashville gets talked about a lot. And it's kind of funny, because we live in one of the cities where other teams and players talk a lot about and how much they like coming to Vancouver. Yep. And it's one of those things, and as much as there are always discussions about how, oh, I mean, who wants to come play here anyways... I mean, there are a lot of players who like and really enjoy yeah. coming to Vancouver. I mean, most away teams, most of them hold a lot of parties when they come here and stuff. So Still do their r- rookie yeah. parties here. Yeah, so they do a lot of different things here. So it's it's one of those things where Vancouver, as much as it may be a tough market to play in, mm-hmm. players love coming here to play.
0: It is interesting. Like uh, I, I used to hear this about the Raptors, and you hear it about the Grizzlies even Mm -hmm. at times, too. Like, did players want to sign here, necessarily, and play here? No, but they loved visiting it as a road city. Yeah. Uh, And that was ultimately uh, something very difficult for the Grizz to get over. And, uh, well... Raptors eventually found their way through but but I mean I, the
1: Grizzlies even like they were so handcuffed they didn't have money to go well, and sign for they made their own switch. issues yeah you know
0: they made their own, they made their own bed and they laid
1: in it yeah the NBA really I mean anyways, you don't need to do it anyways I don't need to I mean we have we have a group of NBA fans trying to bring the NBA back today
0: is this Grizzly Central uh <laughs> it might be if they continue Sad still got his Grizz jersey
1: I do <laughs> which, which one uh, I got a couple <laughs> do you yeah. not wear one uh, right now, no. I think it's it's probably best I I put that one away for now. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, good point. <laughs> Forgot about that.
0: <laughs> uh, all right, Stan Richo, Satyar Shah, you've lis- You're listening to Canuck Central.
2: Talking all Canucks all the time. It's Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drantz. Subscribe and download
0: the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Canuck Central in the Kintec studio. Kintec footwear and orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Uh, NHL draft coming up Wednesday. And NHL draft coverage is brought to you by the Vancouver Giants, showcasing NHL prospect talents including Samuel Honzik and Jaden Lipinski. Come watch NHL talent in action this season. Go to VancouverGiants.com slash tickets. Samuel Hanzik, a really uh, interesting name going into Wednesday. It's uh, Depending on who you ask, he could be a surprise pick inside the top 12, maybe. Yeah, I'd say top but 15.
1: Yeah, uh, he, he could go in the top 15, and there is word that Detroit really likes him. Mm-hmm. Maybe not at 9, but at 17. Right. So he looks to be a guy who is going in the top 20. And he could find himself inside the top 15. A Very, very talented. Like, when you watch him play, I mean, he's got size, he's got speed, he's got a great shot, he can play tough as well, he drives the net really well. Mm-hmm. He's a winger, mostly. He said himself he wants to play wing, but he yeah. said he's open, you know, to, to playing center if need be. I know he's drawn some comparisons to a guy like Michael Hanzoos. That's why I would love to see, would explore the idea yeah. of him playing the middle. If he can do something like that with a bit more pace even to his game.
0: Ooh, a good defensive center mm-hmm. like Michael Hanzoos. If he, if he can if, if, if
1: he can, kind of, you know, yeah. uh, evolve in that sense. But there's a lot of talent there and a lot of ability. And if this was a diff- diff- different draft year, Dan, he, we might be talking about him being a top 10 prospect even.
0: But uh, this year's draft has uh, quite a few super high-end prospects. And we are inching ever so close. If you missed yesterday's show... Colby Barlow was a guest on the program. You can check that out. Available on your favorite podcatcher, Canuck Central. Subscribe, leave a review. That way you never miss an edition of the show. And Barlow is somebody that has interviewed with the Canucks and is a really interesting player for this team and for this draft. Now, we know, you know we've talked a lot about the top eight. Seth. Yes. Yes. And we have a pretty good sense of what the top eight is going to look like. I don't know if we'll see too many surprises in the top eight. The one that might be a surprise, depending on how things shape up, is really just, does Matvey-Mitchkoff go in the top eight?
1: Yeah, and I think there's a really good chance he does. He's still too talented to pass yes. up. And, and one of the things we keep talking about and keep mentioning is it's going to take some time for a lot of these guys to make a big impact in the yes. NFL. Now, a few will step in and play and give you a little bit of something. So if you're worried about <clears throat> a few years from now, and also one of the things that has come up when asking about Mitch Kopp too, is people are terrified of a Kaprizov situation. Yeah. It's like... Like we, we could have had that guy, and we we decided not to because we were scared. You know, yes. I think there is a lot a lot of that that comes up when talking about Mitch Cobb. It's like you also don't want to be the guy that passed on a player that's apparently that that is as talented as he is. So with Dvorsky, Leonard, and Reinbacher kind of being the next four that have separated themselves from the pack to join Bedard, Fentilli, Carlson, and Smith, that's created a top eight. And I think if we, you know, given my conversations I have no reason to believe that Vancouver isn't high on the top four prospects in this year's draft. Yes. And then even Ryan Bacher, Dvorsky, and Mitch Gov, mm-hmm. my understanding is Vancouver likes those players. Right. Just, I mean, you're unlikely to get them because of where they're at. Ryan Leonard, even though I haven't received word that they love him or he's a guy they really, really like, it's hard to imagine him not being a top 15 prospect for Vancouver, if they, especially if they'd like a guy like Colby Barlow, for instance. Yes. So, like... Even if he may not be in Vancouver's top eight, I have a hard time putting him outside of Vancouver's top 15. So
0: the top 15, why are we talking about the top 15? And it comes down to Patrick Alvin mentioning that they have a top 15 earlier this week. Now we can debate how much uh, of what Patrick Alveen says we should take at face value, but that's what he said They have a top 15 Mm -hmm. that they clearly like. So those are the top eight in no particular order. We all know those are eight of the names that are likely to be there for the Canucks in their top 15 on their draft board. Beyond that is where it starts to get interesting because after eight comes nine, ten, and there's the Canucks at 11 in the draft What's next on on the Vancouver Canucks draft board, do you think, Seth?
1: So, um, and we'll cite, since we're citing what Alvin said, we'll also cite him putting a lot of importance on the draft interviews, yes. pre-draft interviews, and how important and critical they are in determining the final list, because then their final list isn't done yet. They have not finalized their top draft list heading into the draft yet. It's going to be based on finalizing some interviews here mm-hmm. including a guy like shimashev who they are going to or at least trying to meet with which i would imagine is going to happen so then you start looking at okay they met with barlow they yep. met with matthew wood yep they met with willander yep they met with zach benson mm-hmm. and you're going to meet with shimashev yeah
0: it's a pretty big list of uh, names that you've at, li- uh, and nate looked danielson at. and
1: nate danielson as well so that brings you to 14 names so, who would be next on the list? So, here are the options Axel Sandin Palika. Yeah. Otto Stenberg as a bit of a mm-hmm. reach, if you want to look at it that way. Edward Shala, Gabe mm-hmm. Perot, Braden Jaeger. Braden Yeager. Those are the guys, right? And Axel Sandin Palika. Yeah. I would imagine Axel Sandin Palika is in their top 15. Or you think I, so. I, I, I could see him being there. Like, I think. Over an Oliver Moore. Yeah, I mean, hey, listen, Axel Sandine Palika, righty defenseman, like he's super talented. Yeah, like, he's a great asset as well. Like, so I think Oliver Moore's in that discussion too for sure. But if I had to guess, maybe right now, and we'll see, we'll find out. I think we're going to find out who else they will talk to here. But I think Axel Sandine Palika could round out their top fifteen.
0: So Palika, we haven't talked about him a ton as far as the Canucks uh, are concerned, mainly because of the stylistic fit on this roster within this organization. He is projected to be a high-end offensive defenseman, a guy who can quarterback your number one power play unit. And so inevitably some level of, is there a fit with this organization? That part of the conversation comes up in the lead into the draft. But if you look at it, and, and this organization has done this a lot, where they look at everything they have and they sort of, Value it as an asset. Yeah. And if you value Axel sandin Palika as an asset, I mean, a right-shot defenseman that has some offensive upside can move the puck pretty well. Like Those kinds of guys always end up having value around the league. So whether it's playing on your own team or as an asset in the future, if the stylistic fit just really isn't there with your roster, well, that's a player that's going to be an asset, likely to be an asset even in a couple
1: of years down the road. Yeah, and who knows what happens with your team in a couple of years? What yeah. if it doesn't work out with Heronik, for instance? What if Quinn Hughes one day says, I want out? Or like, I'm not re-signing. I want to go and join my brothers. I mean, who knows what happens in two yes. or three years? Like, you, you don't know what's going to happen. And you, are you going to bypass a player because you say today we have somebody who's like him on our roster? You take best player available. So I don't, I don't think about it too much. So, And I'd look at the talent he has and the ability he has. Yeah, I mean, it's, I wouldn't be shocked if he is in their top fifteen. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I'd I have a hard time not thinking they view him as a talented player. Now, I can see them maybe having him as their fourth defenseman, and maybe they have all four of those guys in the top 15. Because there are teams that do, that view all four of the defensemen, and that's Willander, Reinbacher, uh, Axel, Cindy, Palika, and Shimashev as being top 15, top 16 prospects.
0: Right. I um The reason I'm not as uh, warm on this idea that Palika is number 15 is because Oliver Moore is a name that is still there (laughs) on this list that we're talking about and who would be that 15th name. I mean, look, my own personal feelings on this. um, Let's say Oliver Moore and uh, Palika were there and available to draft. My personal feel on it would be to take Oliver Moore. Like you just skaters as good as he is are just.
1: They don't come around. <laughs> no, they don't. No, they don't. Like and he's in, got like Dylan Larkin level speed. He does. He just doesn't have Larkin size. Yes. And whether that matters or not, if you're an impact player, it doesn't. I mean, Connor Bedard, we all know, is not the biggest player, anyways. Now Oliver Moore is nowhere near Connor Bedard's overall talent. Yeah. But he's a better skater than Connor Bedard is. You know, yes. he's he is the best forward skater in the draft, bar none. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's something that is translatable. And, and Hey, and, and maybe Vancouver has him over Palika. Like I'm just looking at it and kind of going by, yep. Um, you know, profiles and what they've looked at so far. And I've heard in the past that they like Alex Axelsson and Palika, but it, I mean, they, they like 20 guys, of course. I mean, they, they, like a <laughs> lot of guys. It's just it's trying to figure out what to that them, 15 is. There's a separation. Like yep. if we're taking Alvin at his word, there's a top 15 and then they see separation. So where's the separation point? who makes the list and who doesn't make that list, right? And again, it goes back to how far is Vancouver to go back. And I think, and I keep looking at Nashville Mm -hmm. as being the team that you should probably look to talk trade with. If you are willing to go down, because you feel very good about the top fifteen, mm-hmm. isn't fourteen the best spot? Because then you actually have a couple guys of you know left in your top fifteen, maybe even more, depending on you know whom goes a bit higher and and how the draft breaks. I think it's best when you can pick from a few of your guys in your in your tier. I think it makes it a bit easier for you to get the you know a better player. Yeah. So fourteen to me is a good spot to go down to if you're going down.
0: Nashville has uh, well, they're fifteen. Nashville. Yeah. Oh, um, sorry, fifteen. Yes. Um and. They've got two first-rounders. got Edmonton's first-rounder for this year. They've got two second-rounders, so they have their own, and they have the Pittsburgh Penguins pick that they acquired for the wild yeah. Mikhail Granlin trades that happened in the lead-up to the trade deadline. And they also have three-thirds, San Jose and the Tampa Bay Lightning's third-round pick to go along with their own. They have the draft capital to move up if they are one of those teams that's been calling the Canucks about the 11th overall selection. And I think just on the basis of our conversation here and how difficult it is to sort of round out this top 15 from a even just the Canucks perspective, never mind what every other team's list would look like around the league, like there's enough players that are in this tier that there could be some variance, and that's why it's very likely once you get to that middle part of the draft you know there's probably a player or two that's you know in your top 12 or in your top 10 that ends up dropping to that spot because everybody's list is different
1: exactly and if vancouver i think vancouver has preferences here mm-hmm. like i think if they have their way they they maybe nab whether it's a nate danielson type and i mean danielson he might not even be there at 11 for vancouver to pick So some of the
0: books, I was actually looking uh, at this earlier today, and um, I believe it was Bet365 I was looking at. They had an over-under total on, uh, on Nate Danielson, and it was nine and a half. Yeah. So they're almost wondering if Nate Danielson will go in the top 10.
1: They're projecting him to be a top 10 pick, and there's been a lot of talk about him being a top 10 pick, right? Now, there has been a lot of discussions about him being that.
0: It was uh, plus money that he would go under 9.5. But so, still, you're
1: putting the line on 9.5. Yeah. And nine under 9.5 is 10. Yeah. Usually, you don't, you don't move a guy too far. So if you're going down, so if they're putting the line at 9.5, they're probably looking at him being in the top 10 most likely.
0: Detroit is such an interesting team in, in Wednesday's draft because— yes. You've mentioned this when we've talked about it even last week. You know, they did it with cider, And even last year, I know Marco Casper, you know, like, you think about it. A month going into the draft, or a month out from the draft, he was a guy that was looking at going maybe outside the top 20, you know. And then he started to grow a little bit. And it's like, oh, maybe he's going to go in the mid-teens. And now all of a sudden you get to draft day and he's a top 10 pick for the Detroit Red Wings. So... They're not afraid to go a little bit off the board. They're not afraid to really select the guy that they think is best. Their board might look a little bit different than some other boards look. And Nate Danielson hasn't really been a top 10 pick in a lot of the discussions that I've seen. But he's clearly gaining momentum going into Wednesday's draft.
1: Yeah, and like the thing is, discussions and everything—they're just, they're just it's just talk. Yes, you know, like when it comes to what the industry feels and how teams feels, it's completely different. You know, and mock drafts are fun and, and they're good to look at and everything. Now, especially those that have some inside lines, then it's kind of like okay, you you take it and you like, go, right, like there's somebody projecting yep. this stuff here. But oftentimes, it's a lot of guesswork. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just kind of like guessing, and it's like well. It's guesswork, which is fine, and I'm not, you know, disparaging it. But it's
0: process of elimination, a little bit. Yeah, too.
1: and I think just sometimes t- you shouldn't take outside mock drafts as, oh, this is how the draft's going to break. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's that's why we have so many surprises every year because it's like, wow, we thought this was going to happen. Yeah. It's like, well, it's based on how people were projecting things based on speculation.
0: Well, I did watch some tape on uh, on Danielson last night, and you know, the one thing we've always said about him is, like, you can see why NHL scouts like the guy. Yeah. Right. He's got just does a lot of things really well smart player good at both ends of the rink makes good defensive reads plays center has some size right shot as well like these are all sort of measurables that tend to get you know picked up in the draft and then you know the the, the biggest question was about you know offense and uh, it, it's just, it's, it's hard to project that this guy won't be able to, to score. He's got some good hands on him. He's got a decent shot. wasn't playing on a very offensive team. So it's hard to project, hard to get a good sense of where
1: exactly his offense is. He didn't show a lot of offensive creativity. Was mm-hmm. it because he's incapable of it or the environment wasn't conducive to him to be more creative? And yeah. I think, you know what? I think the honest answer from a lot of people is we don't know. Yeah. Because, like, to your point, there's enough there that you're like, man, there should be more there, and it's all understandable. And then yet, you're still seeing things that you're like, like, again, like, he holds on to the puck too long, and he Mm -hmm. ends up, like, you know, putting himself into corners. Like, he'll, he'll skate himself out of position in the opposite zone oftentimes, which is like, is this because he's he's reluctant to pass, or he's reluctant to, or doesn't see the game properly? Or is it because he's trying to look for somebody open, or he's expecting guys to be somewhere, and they're not? And yeah. He's forced to hold on an extra beat, and next thing you know, he's, he's, he's skated himself into a, a space where he can't do much, yes. where the play just dies, you know, and that happens a lot. But is that because of him, and he gets tunnel vision and ends up there, and he gets kind of pushed over, or because... Of what's going on and I think that's the biggest thing I wonder about when I watch him and when you talk to scouts they're like it's hard to project that yeah I think it's guesswork with a lot of these players but there's a lot of, enough tangible skills there that people like him a lot so I mean if Danielson goes there and I think there's been a lot of discussion that Detroit's not going to trade down or out of nine yeah we don't think Washington's trading out of eight no I mean this is a chance for them to get a great talent I don't think they want to trade out of that especially if Mitchkov somehow ends up there
0: and, uh, you know, Mitch Coff's a guy that's starting to do a little bit more interviews. Uh, I don't know if he's interviewed with too many teams just yet, but, you know, Danny Briere is on, on record saying he's going to talk to him and stuff like that. So.
1: so Philly might even take him. And Philly we know views the importance of this year's draft and they need quality prospects. Why would they trade out of the top 10? I mean,
0: they're looking to get an extra first round pick.
1: If exactly. Anything. Right. And we know Arizona's probably not looking to trade out of the top 10. Again, looking at more quality, I guess Montreal could be a bit, of a bit dark, dark horse. Yeah. You know, at number five, because there is, you know, it seems like they're deciding between Leonard and Reinbacher, like we discussed last week. And maybe it is that simple and they choose one of them, or maybe that's a team that's willing to trade out because they need some stuff on defense still yeah. too. And, is five a bit early for a defenseman, so I could see them being a team. But do they want to go from five to 15? Probably not. And I think Nashville, again, coming back to them for a moment, they're a team, I think, because the draft is there, they're motivated to do something. Is the only realistic spot for them to move up Vancouver at 11? Yeah. Because St. Louis probably doesn't want to... If St. Louis loves Axel Sandin-Pelika as much as the rumor out there is, and maybe it's true, and maybe it's just the biggest smokescreen of draft season so far, but if he goes there and they want to sit at a number 10, like... They have no chance of trading into the top 10, and why move to 12 or 13? Like, 11 would be a bit of a splash. You go 15 to 11. Like, is that where where Nashville's really trying to hone in on? I would say that that's most likely it. And, and even just forget about
0: it being, you know, Vancouver's pick or anything like that. How often do we see a team trade up into the top 10 from mm-hmm. 15? It's very rare in the National Hockey League, so the cost somewhat prohibitive. I wonder about 15. We get a couple questions on this. 11 for 15 and Dante Fabro. I want to pick, if I can. If you can
1: give me a second in Fabro. So one of their two seconds. Sure. But I'm not doing it for Fabro. I'm not going down four spots in the draft for Dante Fabro. And I like Dante Fabro. I liked him a lot in his draft year. And I think he'd be a nice fit. And actually, as a, st- a sh- short-term guy, and maybe there's more projectables there. And he could play with Quinn he was decent on the PK, good defensively. I think there's a lot there to like about yeah. Fabro. But I'm not moving down four. Spots in the draft for Dante Fabro. if you give me a give me the Tampa second at least
0: um this text says sites should be set on Simashev and if he's gone Danielson uh so thought there on the Canucks selection at 11. I you know Danielson is is a little bit harder to sort of gauge right now but Simashev I do think Simashev does fall out uh well is probably available at 11, and might even be still available at 15.
1: Maybe one of those guys will be. Now, somebody cited, cited McKenzie's list and mentioned you Gabe Perot is uh, a bit higher. Again, he's a guy to keep an eye I on. I think he was 10 on McKenzie's list. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure where Vancouver's at with him. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure Vancouver's as high on him as some of these other teams are, but there are a lot of teams that are. And, if like even though Vancouver's high on some of these guys like Willander and whatever and what if he is going to go a bit later in the teens or he ends up going 15 or something yeah cuz there's it, it seems to be a couple of spots for him where people are identifying it's either Detroit at 9 mm-hmm. that's kind of it seems like Danielson more Willander uh, and even Zach Benson's been mentioned that's kind of kind of the, the people you've been hearing the most about around Detroit at number 9 so if he doesn't go there and you come in at number 10 and they take Axel Sandine Palika and Nashville moves up to number 11 and doesn't take Willander. Yeah. Well then all of a sudden there's a chance Shimishev or Willander are there for your number 15. You yeah. still get maybe your guy potentially.
0: That's uh, what makes the idea of a trade down much more, um, intriguing than a trade yeah. up as, uh, Patrick Colvin alluded to earlier in, in the week, uh, a couple more, uh, tweets and texts and questions on this, even though mailbag is coming up. So we'll have more time for questions. Uh, Amar on Twitter, what separates Reinbacher with Walinder, and Simashev, and Axel Sandin-Polika? Mm-hmm. I don't
1: understand. It's a great question. And I think, so th- they're all slightly different players, mm-hmm. right? Um, I'd say the thing with Reinbacher is he's the most projectable in terms of NHL readiness. And I don't mean that as he can step in tomorrow and play in the NHL. If anything, he wants to go back one more year. Uh, to Europe and then come over to North America but he's a guy whose game is very mature already yeah he's very physical already and he skates well he does everything well at already it's a very small chance he's gonna miss he might have the highest floor, like him and Woodlander might have the highest floor, right? And his floor might be even higher because of how physically imposing it already is and, and, you know, how mature his game already is. And those are the reasons why he's kind of separated himself. It's because he has the same projectables, maybe slightly slower, lower ceiling, but his floor is significantly higher. Plus, he's just, you know, a righty defenseman, does a yeah. lot of things well. So I think that's what pushes him up. Axel Sandin-Polika is a bit of a wild card. Super yeah. talented offensively, but has defensive deficiencies. So you have more question marks. Yeah, and some teams, you know, may be questioning about how high you want to take a player like that. Willander, super talented, right? Great defensively, offensively. There's questions about ultimately his upside. So do you want to take a top ten pick on a guy who might just be a good defensive righty who I still think is fantastic?
0: Also, still very difficult to find in the NHL.
1: But again, overall upside. There's some question marks to it. And then Shimashev, there's the Russian factor, but. His game, you could make the argument... Is and he's kind a lefty. Of, he's a lefty, but he, you can make the argument that him and Ryan Bacher are somewhat similar. Maybe not quite as mature as Ryan Bacher, but not too far away. But he's yeah. a lefty, so that pushes him down a little bit. So I'd say that's kind of the process of elimination, where you get a little bit of separation between these guys. Uh,
0: Simashev didn't score, really, at all. No. In, in the KHL minutes that he had. He was okay, uh, you know, scored fairly well for a defenseman in his MHL minutes this year, which is a league below uh, the K, and it's I mean I I watch him there's just so many things that I like (laughs) about the player and I do wonder you know if he's right-handed and not Russian you know how much but is the exact same player how much different of a conversation is it and the the Russian factor like I think the biggest thing that it plays about it is like you don't get your hands on this player for two years not just like they're not coming here for for two years but you have no you have no sort of input on their yes. development for the
1: next two seasons. And that is problematic. But the thing I would say as well though, because he is a lefty. Yeah. Like so I mean, let's say he was Canadian, how much higher does he go? Is he like maybe five spots higher on some rankings instead of being like nineteen or seventeen? Yeah. Is he like twelve twelve or something? I think that's kind of where he's at. Like I don't view him as like, oh, like he's a even if he was all those factors, like he's really good. Yeah. I don't know if I'd have him like top eight or nine.
0: Stan Richo, Satyar Shah. Mailbag is next. You're listening to Canuck Central.